Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen, amen, amen. I have a special announcement that I want to make to you the beginning on the first Wednesday of the new year, January 4th. We are going to begin, Glenna and I are going to begin a brand new series of messages about family, about marriage, about children, about dating, about how to survive 47 years of marriage. Amen. And live to tell about it and still have a smile. Praise the Lord. That's coming up beginning on January 4th, and that's going to take uh, several Wednesdays. It will all be recorded, but you need to be here. Because, you know, uh, Wednesday night we had planned, and I was prepared to minister and teach. Didn't ever get to it. And we had a powerful time here on Wednesday, I'll tell you. And you just would have had to have been here to really fully appreciate the atmosphere and the anointing that was flowing in this place. And so uh, we're always open for the Spirit of the Lord to move and do whatever He wants to do. But the plan is we will begin on January 4th. And during that uh, several Wednesdays, there'll be some other uh, treats. And you, you will hear from other people other than just Glenn and me. It's going to be really good. And so I, I encourage you to make your plans to come. Uh, if you're planning to be married someday, then uh, this will be good for you. If you are already married, this will be good for you. Uh, it's just going to be good for you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And by the way, I want to wish everybody a merry, merry Christmas. I hope you're enjoying the season. As Matt mentioned, next Saturday at 3 p.m. we have our Christmas Eve service. And that will also be Family Sunday, the last Sunday of the month of December. And it will be Communion. So what a, what a blessed time it'll be to celebrate communion on Christmas Eve. At, that's at 3 p.m. next week. Praise the Lord. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, I want to read a passage that we have read now for several weeks. I think today will be the fifth installment of this series. We don't get in a hurry. Praise the Lord. And uh, we like to uncover things, look at things more closely. We like to gain revelation and keep learning. And so the way you do that is by continuing in the Word just over and over and over again. So let's begin to read with verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or your manner of living, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ... As of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, we'll read on to verse 20, who verily or truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Father God, this morning as we approach your word, we do so humbly, reverently. We know that through your word you speak to us. We know that the living word is revealed through the written word. We know, Lord, that your word produces faith. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our pathway. So, Lord, today we choose to hear it. We choose to think about it, meditate on it. We choose to study it. We choose to allow you to speak to us through your word. And as we do, we know that the benefits of the word will be manifested in our lives. I ask for this utterance in the Holy Ghost today. And give you the honor and glory and praise for it in Jesus' name. 
And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We are picking out those two words in verse 19, precious blood. And we're talking about the precious blood of Jesus. The word precious here means something of great value or high price. Something that's highly esteemed, something that is cherished. We all know what something precious is. The blood of Jesus is one of those things that would be in the top of all time and all eternity of precious things. Because so many wonderful things were accomplished when Jesus laid his life down and shed his blood for us. We are told in Romans 3.25 about faith in his blood. And we're told in Hebrews 9 verses 13 and 14 about how God, Jesus, offered himself without spot through the eternal spirit. His blood was offered. So the blood of Jesus takes on a spiritual dimension, a dimension outside of time, a dimension outside of space. It is a powerful force. As we've already pointed out, you can see in the word that the blood is on the heavenly altar in heaven. It is there. We will see it one day. Those are the tokens of our redemption. They always remind us of where we came from and what God has done for us. Now, there's a list, and I'm not saying we will cover everything on the list or even that we have everything that we could put on the list, but there are a few things that I feel led of the Lord, and we've tried to pursue this to talk about the benefits of the shed blood of Jesus. Through the blood, number one, we found out our sins have been remitted. That means the debt for our sins has been paid. You don't have to do any penance. You don't have to suffer anything to pay for the sins that Jesus has already paid for. Always remember that God would never put you in a place of double jeopardy. He will never put you in a place where he's punishing you for things Jesus has already been punished for. As our perfect and complete sacrifice and substitute, he paid the price and the debt was paid for our sins to be remitted. So you don't have to be worried about your past. You don't have to be worried about anything that's under the blood. Then number two, we found out that not only is our sins remitted, but our sins have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And if you missed any of those messages, go back and listen to them. They're online. You can get them free. They're on the app. They're on the website. It'll do you good to get you caught up to where we are. But our sins have been cleansed. You know, sin is an unclean thing. And all that goes with it, all the filth of sin, all of the uh, uncleanness involved, we have been cleansed from all that. We have been made now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to be condemned in any way. And then number three, and this kind of goes along with that, through the blood we find out and we found out our conscience has actually been cleansed. So that means we don't have to be worried about the past. The devil's going to always try to bring up your mistakes. He's going to always try to remind you of your failures. He's going to want to always make you feel bad about something. But the fact is, the blood of Jesus has cleansed our conscience. I do not have to be one bit worried over what I've done that was wrong or failed to do that I should have done, if it's under the blood, if I have repented, if all that's gone, then I have a clear 
conscience, I can come before God and I can make my requests, I can use my faith, I can operate in the covenant of God without any condemnation at all because my conscience is clear. Hallelujah. And then number four we learned last time that the blood of Jesus gives us access to God. It allows us to come boldly, we found, boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We access the throne of heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can get there. There's no other way in there but through the blood of Jesus. There's no religious works that you can do. There's no uh, abstinence from wrong things that will finally get you to the place where you could access God. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus, and particularly through the shed blood of Jesus that we have access to God. Now, you know, in your life, maybe many of you, maybe all of you have, uh, over the years at least, at some point, there were people that you looked up to. Maybe we would call them heroes. People that if you were given the opportunity, you'd like to meet them. If, if you never got to meet them, you maybe would like to have lunch with them or have dinner with them. You'd like to spend some time, as we say, picking their brain. You know, all those things we maybe would like to do with people that we really admire and people we really look up to. Well, think about this. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you have access to Almighty God. You get to, and I mean this not in a disrespectful way, but you get to pick his brain. You know what I mean? You get to ask him questions. You get to hang out with him. And the thing that's amazing, this is amazing to me, he likes it. He doesn't tolerate us. We didn't have to go through a bunch of hoops and jump through a lot of things, you know, to finally earn the privilege. No, Jesus came and opened the door and invites us to come into the presence of the Father. Isn't that wonderful? I, don't, I guess that it would be one of the greatest privileges of life, at least I consider it to be so, that I'm able to have access to God, the one who knows everything, the one who can do all things, the one for whom nothing is impossible. I get to spend time with him. I get to talk to him. And please, please, don't make it a religious ritual. You don't have to speak King James English. You, you don't have to close your eyes real tight and make wrinkles in your face. You don't have to clasp your hands. You don't have to be on your knees. It's good to kneel, but I mean, I'm just saying it's not the posture or the, the, um, the look that's going to make a difference. It's just the communication by faith approaching God. So those are four powerful things, but there's more. And we won't finish them today. But today I want to talk about the fifth one, and that is redemption. Redemption. As a matter of fact, the text we've been using all the other weeks prior to this has that word redeemed in it. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. So everybody say this with me. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Say, I have been redeemed. Therefore, I am redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, both of those verses have the same phrase in it. And it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. In whom we have redemption. 
And then again, 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood. Notice the pattern. It's past tense. We're not waiting on redemption. We have already been redeemed. And then one of my favorite redemption verses, uh, scriptures and passages in the Bible, is Galatians chapter 3 and also verse 14. It says, Christ, the anointed one, Jesus, in other words, has, past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we have been redeemed. Now, that's significant, but what does redemption mean? In these passages, what does that phrase mean? Well, it means to buy back. A redeeming process is a process of buying back, and it's particularly talking about buying people. To buy people, to buy back, to pay a ransom. Now you got it? To pay a ransom or a price in order to set the captive free. Redemption was about Jesus paying the price, laying down his life, shedding his blood, his precious blood, so that you and I could be bought out of the slavery that we were in. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And through the blood, we understand and we know that there are some powerful things that happen. Uh, we, we were bought with his blood and now actually belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were bought with a price. So I don't belong to myself anymore. That's why I can't live just doing what I want to do. I can't just live where I want to live. I can't just pursue the career that I want to pursue. I can't just do what I think would be fun or good or nice. And, of course, God's not against you having fun. He's not against you having nice things. But the point is, it's not about me doing my thing anymore. I've been bought. I belong to Jesus. It's about doing his thing. <coughs> it's about doing what he has called me to do. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, and now we belong to him. Now, this was not always the case. This wasn't the case. I'll ask you if, you, if you do have your Bible handy, to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to look at verses 11 and 12. Because in all the New Testament, probably these two verses sum up the sad state that we were in before we came to Jesus better than any others, perhaps. It says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, in other words, we weren't Jews, that at that time, and so I want you to think about that phrase, at that time, what time are we talking about? We're talking about before Christ. So for you personally, that's before you were born again, before you received Jesus. That at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, we were outsiders. We did not have access we are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. This means that we had no right and no claim 
to the great covenant of God that was, that was made particularly with Abraham, the father of the Jews, but also we know now today the father of all them that believe. He is our spiritual father today. There was a time when we had no access to that covenant. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. And notice the phrase that he sums it all up with, having no hope. That's a sad place to be. No hope. Not a shimmer. Not a sliver. Not an ounce. No hope. That's where most of the world is today. Spiritually speaking. No hope. And without God in the world. We needed a savior. We needed a redeemer. And that unique person was Jesus. He was and is our Redeemer. He was and is our Savior. The Word of God incarnate. We celebrate His birth during this season. The Word of God incarnate, Jesus the Christ, was that unique, that one and only person who could come to the earth, robe Himself in flesh, and then shed His totally innocent blood, not tainted by the seed of Adam, but the blood of God shed on the cross. I love Christmas, and it's all, you know, I, I, I like so much of it. But I'll tell you, Jesus didn't come to stay a baby. Jesus didn't come just to give you a nice little card or give you a reason to have a feast or a day off work. Jesus came on assignment. And his assignment was that he would grow up, that he would minister he would fulfill the old covenant and he would give himself as our substitute on the cross. Jesus was born, he lived, and he died and was resurrected in order to redeem us from three things that I want you to, to know about today. Number one, to redeem us from sin. That was our nature. That was our condition. Number two, to redeem us from Satan. That was the family we were in. And every unsaved person today is in that family. In other words, Satan was our family head and that was our identity. Jesus came to redeem us from that family identity. And also he came to redeem us from what we learned just a few minutes ago when we quoted Galatians 3.13. He came to redeem us from the curse of the law. Now, now sin was our nature, our condition. Satan was the head of our family determining our identity. And the curse of the law was what determined the quality or the manner of life that we had. Jesus came to fix all three. He came to fix your condition. He came to help you change families from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And he came to bring you from a place of the curse into the place of redemption. Jesus fully, everybody say fully, there's not a bit that's left out here. He completely and fully and legally accomplished our total redemption. Our guilt, our shame, and all the punishment that we deserved was laid on him. We have now been fully justified. To be justified means to be acquitted or found not guilty. To be justified is just as if I'd never sinned. And according to Romans 4 and 25, when, when we were justified, 
Jesus was raised. One of the most important things about the resurrection is the fact that if indeed Jesus got up from the grave, and he did, then that means you and I were justified. The total price was paid to get us free from sin, to get us free from the family of the devil, and to get us free from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. And so thank God he paid the price. We as believers are now legally righteous before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that's talking about God the Father, hath made him, Jesus the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So therefore, we now stand before God fully justified, completely free of our past. We are now the righteousness of God in him. Now that's, that'll make your mind go tilt. You'll have to work the rest of your life to renew your mind to that great truth. We know who we were. We know where we came from. We know what kind of a life we lived. We know the mistakes we've made even since we came to Jesus. We know how that we've had to repent for this and repent for that and the other thing. But I am so glad today to tell you that your righteousness is not based on your works. Your acceptance with God is not based on your good personality or your goodwill. Your blessings are not based on you earning them. Your blessings, your access, your righteousness is all based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and he did all things well. The work is done. We are accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We are redeemed right now. I don't know why sometimes I think in our minds we put off so many things. And we think about heaven, and heaven's going to be good, by the way. I, I don't doubt that a bit. Nobody that's there is wanting to come back. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it, it's a great place. But all the good things aren't waiting in heaven. There are some good things that are awaiting you right now to take by faith. There are so many wonderful things. We have this legal standing with Christ that puts us in a position of receiving from the Lord. Redemption has been accomplished. There's no doubt about it. But what needs to be done now in our lives is for redemption to be applied fully. Legally, when we came to Jesus, we were born again, we were made a new creation in Christ, we were given this legal standing, so this, this redemption was applied to us in that measure. But then you and I must learn to walk out the redeemed lifestyle. What does that look like? And what is that all about? Let's look again at Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. I think it's very important for us to understand how powerful this, this principle is. Gen uh, Galatians rather, chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we see immediately that there's something called the curse of the law that was so important that that's really all that Paul took the time for here to talk about. He didn't go into other aspects of it. He just said Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that's because the curse of the law really is a, a rather all-inclusive term. It includes the totality of the curse. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit 
through faith. So what is this curse of the law <coughs> about? What does this consist of? Evidently, it's something that every unborn-again person lives under, whether they know it or not. Every person that doesn't know Jesus lives under it, and unfortunately, and this is a sad statement, but it's true, unfortunately, many Christians are living with some or portions of the curse of the law and don't really realize that they don't have to. I, I, I'm sure you probably realize this, but the devil will put as much mess on you as you allow. He will make your life as miserable and hard as you allow. If you don't learn to resist the devil, if you don't learn to fight the good fight of faith, good fight meaning it's one we win, if you don't learn to use your faith, if you don't renew your mind to the truths of who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ and what you can do in Christ, if you don't learn to take action on the Word of God that you hear and you know and you come to understand, you will not live to the fullest extent of the blessing of Abraham that you could and that you should. Now, there are a number of reasons why you want to do this, not the least of which is the fact that when you live in the blessing of Abraham, when you live a life according to the covenant that was sealed by the blood of Jesus, you walk the earth unlike other human beings. And that earth walk in covenant with God is in and of itself one of the most powerful testimonies that you'll ever give to your neighbors, your family, your friends, your co-workers, or anybody else that knows you. It's so important that you live and walk in the blessing of God and that you understand the need to resist the curse of the law. Probably the best place in all the Bible to get a synopsis, to get just a a brief rundown, comparatively speaking with all the rest of Scripture, to get a brief rundown of the curse of the law is to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. So would you open your Bibles there for this next few moments? Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, I understand this is Old Testament, and I understand we're New Testament people. I understand this is Old Testament. I, as a matter of fact, Deuteronomy was basically one long, long, long sermon that Moses preached right before he died. Uh, it, it was long. If you think sometimes we have some long sermons around here, read the book of Deuteronomy straight through without stopping, and you'll understand how long Moses preached. <clears throat> no wonder it's shortly after that he was ready to lay down his body and go on. <laughs> but Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists what the curse of the law is about. And it also lists the blessings now, the reason this is important to us is because passages like Deuteronomy 28 transcend the dispensation in which they were written. Because we understand that faith, the faith that we have is the same kind of faith Abraham had. Galatians chapter 3, we like verses 13 and 14, but verse 29 is another great verse. It says, and if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we have a spiritual connection to Abraham. I'm not a physical seed of Abraham, but I am a spiritual son of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is reiterated in passages like Galatians 3, 13 and 14, 
so that I understand that there's something about Abraham's blessings that belongs to me. I need to know something about it. And so when I look back at a passage like this, I am looking at a passage that, yes, really does have some bearing on my life. It really has a direct connection and tie to me because I am one of the spiritual seed of Abraham. So when it says that we're redeemed from the curse of the law, you'll find in Deuteronomy 28 at about verse 15 that it begins to list the curse. Now, Deuteronomy 28 is a long chapter. There's 68 verses, and we're not going to read them all. But you will find from verse 15 through verse 68 the following things. Now, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of it. But I would encourage you to read it. You need to know what you're redeemed from. You say, why? So you'll know what to resist. So you won't let the devil or anybody else, for that matter, who may be well-meaning, and they may be honest but yet wrong, tell you why you should suffer under things that you technically have been redeemed from. Remember this too before we uh, talk about some other things here. God will never use what he has redeemed you from in order to punish you or to teach you. It would be unjust of Almighty God to lay something on Jesus as your substitute and he fully paid the price and then for him to come around and give it to you? No. The blood of Jesus is one vaccine that works. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't need a booster. It's always good. And your redemption has been accomplished through the blood of Jesus. Now, now what you'll find when you read these things is that there are several categories that I think is important for us to understand. Number one is spiritual death which simply means not the cessation of existence. It means separation, alienation, and isolation from God. It's being just like we read about in Ephesians chapter 2 just a few moments ago. It's being in that condition, that spiritual death. It's, it doesn't mean you don't exist. It means you exist apart from God. You're not in fellowship with God, and <clears throat> the blessing of God's not upon your life. So that's number one. Number two, you'll find as you read, is sickness and disease. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting in the passage that he actually says that every sickness and every disease that's not even mentioned in the list is included in the curse. And there's a number of bad stuff, bad things mentioned in the listing. But he wants it to be so clear to us that he goes on to tell us that even the things not mentioned here are part of the curse. Every sickness and every disease. And then number three is poverty. I know people sometimes equate poverty with piety. And sometimes people think that if you're the poorer you are, probably the more humble and the more uh, uh, holy that you may be. Well, you can be humble and holy and be poor, and you can also be humble and holy and be rich. Money is a tool. It's not a God to be worshipped. It's a tool to be used. I have a hammer I've had for years. I use it here and there. And you know from time to time, sometimes I'll be blessed to go months without needing it. Other times I'll need it, you know, right on along. Several times maybe in a period of a few months. And I'm so glad that I have it when I need it. But I don't worship it. It's just a tool. So money is the same way. Poverty is a curse. Look at your neighbor and tell them, poverty is a curse. I wanted you to say that because maybe you've never said that before in your life. 
Maybe you've never said that before in your life. You say, well, I know rich people that are dishonest. I know rich people that are stingy. And I know rich people that, you know, they're shysters and they're not, they're, they're crooked and all the rest. Well, you know what? I've known some poor people that were not honest. I've known some poor people that were shysters. Have, I mean, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but have you ever known of any poor people who shoplifted? Have you ever known any poor people that griped and complained about what other people had that they didn't have? It's called envy. It's a sin. The love of money can manifest even if you don't have two nickels to rub together. In my lifetime, and I've lived a long time now, I have, I have heard more people, poor, talk about money stuff and how much stuff costs and complain and gripe than I ever have heard people who are well off. Thank you for that enthusiastic response. Keep on preaching. Good preaching. I think I will. Poverty is a curse. Let's move along. Well, I still got a chance. Um, You'll also find as part of the curse marital problems. Both problems in the marriage, husband and wife, adultery, that kind of thing. And then also problems in the family in general, children carried away as captives. It's a part of the curse. All of these things. And then another thing that I'll mention before we go is particularly... Uh, uh, clear in this passage that mental problems are part of the curse. Things like depression, oppression, all kinds of mental illness. It is a part of the curse. It's not a blessing. I am amazed, as I say I've lived a while now, I am amazed at how many people in our culture today are on psychiatric medications. They may not even know that that's what they are, but they are. Some kind of mind-altering, mood-controlling, behavioral control type of medication. And then you add to that list all the people who now can't seem to survive without alcohol every day. And we are becoming quickly a culture of functioning drug addicts and alcoholics. It's true in Western Europe, many parts of Eastern Europe as well. And it's becoming more and more true in America every day. Mental illness, the ability to not be able to cope with life, the, the, the inability to cope with life, the inability to function as a normal person and to uh, keep our emotions where they're supposed to be as a part of our soul, not our spirit. Our spirit is who we are. The whole realm of emotion and feeling is a part of your soul. And that can be controlled by renewing our minds to the Word of God and staying full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's no coincidence that Paul told the Ephesians not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because being filled with the Holy Ghost is the high that you need. There's no high like the most high. You know that, don't you? Amen. No hangover. No DUIs. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, as I keep talking about how old I am. I'm not really that old. <laughs> but you know, amen. Thank you, sister. Sit, more people like that sit on the front row saying amen. <laughs> but you really can't have a great life without being drunk. 
you can have a great life without popping a handful of pills to try to get you through the day. Because that realm is a realm of the curse. So, every unsaved person you know is living under this curse. Every one of them. And mo many, I, I won't say most, but many Christians are putting up with some or part or all of this curse because they just don't know they've been redeemed. So many people are enslaved and they don't realize they're enslaved. And we all know that in this country there was a great scourge of slavery. And thank God that's over. A great scourge of slavery. An ungodly thing. And I bring that up because I want to make this point and use this illustration. When the Emancipation Proclamation was given by Abraham Lincoln all those many years ago, technically and legally, everywhere that was territory of the United States, every slave was free. When that came to people's attention, they then had a choice. And can you imagine that there would have been anyone who would have said, I want to be a slave forever. But it happens every day with Christians. They, they, they don't maybe consciously make that choice, but by default, they just continue to live under a curse. They've been redeemed, but they're living like they're not redeemed. Their lives look much like the rest of the world. They're putting up with the same mess. They've got the same problems, and they're still bound into slavery of the devil. Well, I'm here today to bring you some good news. You have been redeemed. Hallelujah. Could we lift up our hands and thank God for redemption? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We've been redeemed. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Many people live this way under the curse, and they have lived that way so long, and they've been around so many people who also live that way that they think that that's normal. But it's not normal. Do you know what God's idea of normal is? The blessing. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's God's idea of normal Christian living, the blessing. Jesus called it abundant life. Zoe in the Greek. Life as God has it, life as God knows it, life in the absolute sense, life to the full, the Amplified says, till it overflows. That's normal. Normal is abundance. Normal is a sound mind. Normal is a strong spirit. Normal is a healthy body. Normal is a great marriage. Normal is a family that's going to serve God on the earth and go to heaven together when this is over. That's normal in the eyes of God. And it's not only normal in God's sight, it's absolutely doable and absolutely possible for us today. There's no other religion on earth and no other book of any religion on earth that gives us this great potential and these truths except Christianity and the Bible. God is a good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's not holding anything against you. All of that was laid on Jesus. Jesus took the wrath. Jesus took the punishment. And Jesus took my place. I am a son of Almighty God standing righteous before him today. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm redeemed from spiritual death. I'm redeemed from sickness and disease. I'm redeemed from poverty. I'm redeemed from mental illness. And I'm redeemed from familial disasters. I am a blessed person in Jesus' Jesus name hallelujah and you want to know how a nation gets blessed well you get a bunch of these blessed people in it if the church in America today even in the sad sorry state this nation is in at this moment if the church in America would awaken to these truths and begin to live in their place in Christ our nation would be changed righteousness would be exalted sin would become a reproach and God could bless and promote us like he wants to And here's some good news though no matter who doesn't do it you can do it your home can be a blessed home. Your marriage a blessed marriage. Your body a blessed body. Your mind a blessed mind. You can walk in the power of God. Hallelujah. So that's God's idea of normal. To live as a redeemed new creature is to have a real and lasting relationship with God. It's to have abundant peace and peace of mind. It's to have joy, prosperity, divine health, and good family life and abundance in every area. You know, even as I say that, I'm well aware that there are those, even in the church world, who do not like that to be said in church. They have a problem with those things being said to the people of God. Don't tell people how good God is. Don't tell people that God wants to prosper them. I'm thinking what was funny, one of the funny things, it would be funny, I guess, it's, if it weren't so pathetic, I'm thinking about a minister right now, documented, well-known that he's quite a wealthy man, but he doesn't believe in preaching prosperity. What kind of preacher would I be if I was blessed, believed in me being blessed, and had abundance more than enough, but I would not teach you what I know and wouldn't bring you scriptural truth? My brother and sister, we're going to teach the truth. No matter what. No matter who gets angry, no matter who gets offended, no matter who comes or who goes, we're going to preach the truth. Can you say amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Only the Bible presents these things we've been talking about as real possibilities for us. That's what normal Christian living is all about. Now, I want to close with this. Our redemptive rights and blessings are accessed. All of them are accessed the exact same way. So this is important to get this. If you don't already know it, be sure you get this today. All the blessings of God, all the benefits of righteous living, all the blessings of our new covenant are accessed the very same way. And it's by grace, that's how they come, through faith. That is, and here's three things you need to know, believing in my heart, Number two, confessing with my mouth. And number three, taking action on God's word. That's how you access your redemptive rights. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. And then you take action on the word of God. Now, how are you going to believe these things? 
Well, we're told in Romans 17 that there's one simple way, and that's by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Most nights, there are some exceptions, but most nights of our life, we go to sleep listening to somebody either preaching, teaching the Word, or someone reading Scriptures to us. Why do we do that? Because we like being healthy. We like being blessed. We like having peace. And we love God. I like to hear from Him. And you know, God sends us messages through people, messengers. Those that He's called to preach and teach and declare the gospel. Servants of God. And, and, and I love to hear from Him through His servants. And so, we hear the Word. And then every day we make confessions. Every day. Those um, financial confessions that we make together once a month here in the service, and we have them on a bookmarker out there. They're on the website. You can download them. <clears throat> I use those every single day. When you heard Brother Jason in the offering talking about getting involved with God's business, and he'll get involved with yours. If you're familiar with those confessions, you know that's the last one on there. Every day, I'm believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth. And then number three, and this is, this is very important, I take action. So that means everything I have is at God's disposal. If he says give in a certain direction, a certain amount, that's what I do. I'm here by directive of God. I stayed here for all these years because that was the direction of the Lord. I'm glad to do it, by the way. I mean, that's not a problem for me. But I just want you to know that taking action on the Word of God means you're not doing your own thing. It means you're doing what God tells you to do. And if you're not bold enough, wise enough, and brave enough to step out in faith and obey God, you will never walk in the fullness of of your redemptive rights. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm not saying you won't have some blessing. But I don't know about you. But I don't want just a little bit of this. I've gotten enough taste of it. till I know I want all I can get. Hallelujah. So declare constantly. What Psalm 107 verse 2 says. Anybody know what Psalm 107 verse 2 says? It says let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So even in the Old Testament time, they understood that the redeemed don't talk like the world. The redeemed have something to say. And I've confessed things that look so impossible. I've confessed things with my mouth, believing in my heart, when I had no idea how in the world it could happen. But God is faithful to his word. I encouraged you, and I would encourage you again. It would be a great way to end the year and start the new year. If you haven't already done so, you need to make you a list of maybe two to five things. And, and you need to make it a list. If you need to write it down to remember it, write it down. But, but you need to use this uh, until you don't even need the list you, uh, in your, on paper. You, can, you got it in your head. And you need some things that you just laugh at. Maybe it's a bill. Maybe it's a marital situation. Maybe it's a situation with a child. Maybe it's a physical situation that nobody can fix for you. And just laugh at it. Like I think it's in the fourth chapter of the book of Job, about verse 7 or so. Job said, at uh, I mean, the word there says, at destruction and famine. 
we shall laugh. So I just say ha, ha, ha about some stuff every day. I don't always feel like laughing, but I make myself laugh. You see, they tell us, those who study these things, that laughter is good for you. Even if it's a put-on laugh, it'll do you some good. Well, that corresponds with the fact that when I laugh, the devil doesn't know the difference, really. I want him to know that he's not winning. And if you go silent and you don't confess the word and you're not laughing and rejoicing and you're not acting on the word, the devil will think he's winning. And you know what? He probably is. Faith is action. Faith is active. It's not a passive, just I believe it. And in his own good time and in his own good way, somehow he'll do it. I don't ever use that terminology except to make fun of it when I preach because it doesn't work. If I have been redeemed, then it is God's good time. Think about that. Think about that now. If you have been redeemed, then it's God's good time for you to live like a redeemed person. If you have been saved, it's God's good time that you live like a saved person. That's just how it is. So thank and praise God for these things. And when you feel like it the least, when you need to do it the most... Faith's not a feeling. It's a spiritual force that operates no matter what's going on in the world if you choose to do it. Amen? So thank God for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank God our sins have been remitted. Thank God we've been cleansed from our sins. Thank God our conscience is cleansed. Thank God we have access to the Father God right now in the very throne room of heaven. And thank God for the blood we've been redeemed. Now, next Saturday, Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the last on our list, and you'll have to come to hear about it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful and so thankful for your word. Thank you for the anointing, the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. There's healing in this house. The anointing is present. Just as in the ministry of Jesus so many years ago, the anointing was present to heal them. Sadly, nobody got healed in the room until the roof was opened up and someone was let down and they got their healing. Lord, when the anointing is present, faith can lay hold to it and receive. So in the name of Jesus today, Lord, we believe that your anointing will manifest and bring healing to the sick deliverance to the oppressed and set every captive free thank you Lord we've been redeemed say this with me say I am redeemed from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham might come on my life I'm redeemed from sin. I'm redeemed from spiritual death. I'm redeemed from sickness. Redeemed from poverty. Redeemed from mental illness. Redeemed from the hand of the enemy. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you are here today and you need the touch of God in your life for healing or deliverance in any area of your life, particularly